0: Welcome to the Derek Diamond Experience Podcast, where every week I take a look inside the world of film and television with those who have lived it and experienced it. I am your host, Derek Diamond, and I have to start off this show with an apology to you, the viewers and the listeners, because as you know, the original plan for this week's show was to do a live Ask Me Anything, where you, the viewers and listeners, could literally ask me anything that you want. And it was to commemorate the seven-year anniversary of the show, which was last week. So a little bit late on that, but that's neither here nor there. Uh, Unfortunately, uh, my work has been uh, very busy this week. And for those who might be new to the show, my full-time job is uh, I work in creative services for a minor league baseball team we have here in town called the Pensacola Blue Wahoos. And we're gearing up for baseball. Uh, It's going to be back after taking 2020 off. Uh, due to the COVID nineteen pandemic, uh, the season's starting a little bit later than usual. It normally starts in early to mid April, but we're going to be starting May eleventh. But we do have other things going on at the stadium that uh, has garnered a lot of time from all of us. So, uh, with working late most days uh, over the past week, it's just been it's been difficult to to do a show. So. Um, Unfortunately, I was not able to do a live show this week. I want to do one uh, very soon. I really want to do that Ask Me Anything show. I always have fun doing the live shows and interacting with you guys. But what I thought would be fun to do, and I've done this a few times that situations like this have happened, we're going to dive back into the archives of the Derek Diamond experience uh, with a previous interview that I did back in 2016 with musician Laura Hall, who you might know as The Pianist. From Whose Line Is It Anyway, one of my all-time favorite shows. I've got so many fond memories of watching that show with my family. A source of so many laughs, uh, tears of laughter, tears of joy. It's really one of the coolest and really a very innovative type of show because it's all off the cuff other than the situations that the actors have to perform when they find out right at that exact moment. And Laura is one of the musicians that helped make the musical games happen. And people love those games, you know, songs like Song Styles, Hoedown, Irish Drinking Song. You know, people love those types of games. And Laura's music was very instrumental in making those games happen. So it was great getting to chat with her about her role on the show, how she got involved growing up in Chicago around the improv scene and it was fun to go back and listen to as well. And I'd love to chat with more people from that show because I respect what they do so much. And I it's provided me with so many fun memories you know, with my family watching that show. So this was fun to go back and listen to. And I know a few people have asked me this, and I'll, I'll say this real quick before we uh, dive into the interview, but I've had a couple of people ask me my thoughts on the Snyder Cut of Justice League Zack Snyder's Justice League if you will I have watched it and on next week's show I will be giving my review of Zack Snyder's Justice League so be sure to come back next week for that but for now sit back and enjoy this fun conversation with musician Laura Hall sitting here with my very special guest this week you may know her as the one behind all the musical talents of the hit improv show whose line is it anyway miss laura hall laura how are you and thank you very much for joining us on the show
1: i'm doing great and thank you for having me Derek.
0: i wanted to start off by asking um, where where are you from originally
1: i grew up in chicago
0: how is it growing up in chicago
1: well, I loved it. I still love Chicago. I live in Los Angeles now, but I still really miss Chicago, and it was, especially as a young adult, it was a great town because there was so much music and theater and improv and everything happening, and a lot of small clubs and, uh, and like, more inexpensive stuff. Do you know what I mean? Not just going to big venues to hear big bands, but... Every night of the week, you could go out and hear local bands at small clubs that were great, and uh, so it was a great sort of musical potpourri for me.
0: <laughs> now, do you think that was the reason why you were why you eventually became a musician because you were around it for most of your life?
1: I think part of it. I think I think it definitely was. I also this sounds so goofy, but my grandpa played piano very, really beautifully. And when I heard him play, I thought, I want to do that.
0: <laughs> no, that's awesome.
1: So it was partly that, but then like my mom was really into music and she would take us downtown and from everything to like classical concerts and ballet to the theater, to folk concerts, to blues clubs. You know, in those days you could take a kid into like a blues club. And no, wow. if it was your kid, no one thought anything of it. You know, I'm dating myself.
0: If (laughs) if you did that today, you'd get so many weird looks.
1: Yeah, exactly. But so she used to, she liked to go out and hear music, and my dad wasn't all that into it, and I loved it. So, you know, I'm 12 12 years old, and I'm at the Earl of Old Town hanging out watching bands with my mom.
0: That's so cool. Yeah. Um, being around you know a lot of the music and you know improv, like you said, that's got to be a, a cool experience growing up. Because you know I I live in Pensacola and the Gulf Coast of Florida, so we've never really had that big of a music scene or a comedy scene. So I can only imagine what it was like. Because I'm I'm a huge fan of of improv comedy. I know going to you know Orlando and going to little clubs there seeing all types of comedy and everything. It's just a fun atmosphere.
1: Yeah, and we used to go, when I was young, we used to go to Second City. I mean, obviously, that was that was the, you know, the first big one in Chicago. And then, you know, later on, I.O. and UCB and, you know, some of the other, the annoyance, some of those opened. But when I was young, it was Second City. But um, it was sort of, you know, people who lived in Chicago, you just went you know what I mean? A new show would open and people would just go, and so I went. I went not all the time, but I went fairly often when I was young, and um, but when I started working there, I started actually while I was in college, and I started as a waitress, and I really didn't. I was I was a musician and I was studying music, but I didn't necessarily go. I want to be an improv musician. You know what I mean? Right. But I so I got a waitressing gig there, which was a great college gig because the tips were really good and they were short shifts. And, you know, I was like, "Yay, cool college gig, you know, and uh, and Fred Cass was the 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 man at the piano and he kind of created the format of how to be a musician for improv because he had been at Second City, I think he started in 62 or something. You know what I mean? So he had been there forever and he was brilliant. And so I was the world's worst waitress because I'd be, you know, taking a (laughs) drink order and I'd be like, oh, that was really cool what Fred just played. (laughs) (laughs) So I didn't start thinking, I want to be an improv musician and so I'm going to get a waitressing job so I can work my way up. I just started as a waitress and then it just turned out that way and I ended up you know I ended up obviously really loving it and that being an improv musician has been a, a big part of my career
0: being an improv musician so say if you're doing music for like an improv act is the music improv as well
1: oh yeah oh yeah wow And and you know in a live improv show the musician does a lot more than what we do on Whose Line Is It Anyway, right? Because the musician plays transitions between games, right? On Whose Line It's All, the way it's cut for TV, we don't play, you know, Linda and I aren't playing transitions into the next scene. But in a live show, you're playing transitions. You're helping scenes wrap up by playing music out. You play underscore more. So the musician is much more Present in a in a live improv show than than on Who's Line.
0: Wow, I had no idea that the music was improv as well. Oh yeah.
1: Oh yeah, and um, you know, and it's and it's part of the fun. You know, it's part of the fun that um, that we're all making it up together.
0: You know. True. The whole improv thing is just such a a great art form. To me, like you know, I mean, we'll we'll obviously get into whose line here in a second, but I remember, um, Colin Mockery and Brad Sherwood were here in town several years ago when they were doing like their two man uh, two man tour. Mm-hmm. And Don't they do a great show? They do, they really do. And I remember hearing, you know, several people behind me like, oh, there's no way that this can be, you know, uh, on the spot. It's not improv. It's all planned out. But by the end, they were they were believers and they mm-hmm. end up loving the entire show. So it's it's just such a great art form.
1: Yeah, and but it is funny. It's almost like being a magician, you know, like people start out going, "Oh, I'm going I'm going to see how they do it or something." You know what I mean? Like people go in with disbelief, but they still go to see it. And that's what I always find kind of interesting about improv. You know, it's like they people oftentimes start with disbelief, but when you see, you know, suggestions being taken and audience members getting up there and they're interacting with audience members you know unless you had like a whole bunch of shills right <laughs> you know what I mean? it has to be improvised because the audience is is shaping so much right. of it
0: Right, exactly, and those to me are the the best skits, the ones with audience interaction, like the, the scenes from a hat game. I, I love that game because it's audience suggestions, so you never really know what you're gonna get.
1: Like mm-hmm. you know, with
0: like, like say with hoedown, you know it's gonna be a song about a certain topic, but with scenes from a hat, you know it's it's audience interaction, and I think that's really cool.
1: Yes, it's a much sort of wider uh, amount of variables in it.
0: Right. You right. know, yeah.
1: And and Hoedown, like something like the Hoedown, obviously the form of it is preset. You know what I mean? The mm-hmm. shape and the form of it. We know everyone's going to get four lines and they're going to go down the line and stuff. Um, it's still improvised within that form. But yeah, like a, a, a game like Scenes from a Hat or, or something like um, Sound Effects, you know, where the audience... Members on stage are really helping to shape it or moving bodies. Yes. That you know, it's a much wider, uh, <laughs> much <laughs> wider amount of variables involved. You know, absolutely.
0: That yeah. you're a waitress in Chicago. You're working. You know, you're seeing improv. You're falling in love with it. How do you transition from that into? your career in music, because you haven't just done Whose Line, you've done, uh, you're in a band, you've done film scores, children's music, like what was the first musical thing that you got into and how did you transition from being a waitress to that?
1: Um, well, actually even when I started at Second City I had already been playing in bands and doing a lot of different things, I was writing songs, playing in bands, I would play for musicals I would, um, you know what I mean? So I had already, before I I did Piano Bar for a long time. That was my bread and butter gig for a long time. Um, And in a weird way, all those varied things that I did before I started working at Second City actually really helped me as an improv musician. Because I played in a lot of different contexts and different styles and different you know what I mean? Different formats. So I, I, without realizing it, I had sort of been setting myself up to do improv, you know? Um, and then even while I was working at Second City, um, I still was, I was in bands, I was writing original musicals, I was doing other things, you know? So, um, it's never been, being an improv musician has been probably obviously the most, um, the most visible part of my career, but it's never been the only part of my career. And so actually after Second City and then my husband and I got married, actually we met at Second City in the tour bus. We toured together. Yeah. So after we got married, and he's an actor, after we got married, we decided to move to L.A. and sort of give it a try. Um, he got a series, and he was like, "Let's go." And if the series doesn't last, we'll see what happens. We'll give it a couple of years. You know, that was <laughs> several years ago. <laughs> but um, when we came to LA, I thought, you know, I'm going to focus on other things. So I took classes in film scoring and other things, and I, uh, I, I formed a. You know, I've been been in different bands. I did all sorts of different things. I was again writing um, improvised musicals and all sorts of stuff. And um, and then I got the call for Who's Line. And it was actually a friend of mine that I knew from Second City in Chicago who had been hired as a producer on the American Who's Line that, that recommended me. So it kind of all just kept happening organically. You know what I mean? Like it all, in a way, I feel like all of it feeds all of it. and And the better musicianship I have playing in my band, The Sweet Potatoes, actually makes me a better musician for improv as well, which makes me a better musician for writing film scores as well.
0: Isn't it awesome when all of that stuff just feeds into each other and makes it so much better?
1: Yeah, yeah. And, you know, it's interesting. I just, this is a good example. I just, a friend of mine called and said, uh, the TV show Gotham is looking for a piece of music Um, You know, it has to be 1930s French cafe style music. They need us to record the track tonight, and they'll place it tomorrow. And I went, okay. And we're we're recording it, and um, the guy who's engineering is like, how do you know how to play this? And I'm like... I think it's because from doing Who's Line, I know a really wide range of styles, and I know how to research a style quickly. So I went online, and I found some 1930s French cafe, and I, and I was like, okay, these are the elements of it. This is what it needs, and we got the thing placed on Gotham the next morning. So there's something about the way that I have learned to approach styles and, um, and how does a piece of music tick does that make sense?
0: Yes, it does no that, that you that's a good explanation
1: yeah, so it, it it again, it's like what I do on whose line has fed what I did in that instance, you know that got me this placement on that got us this placement on Gotham you know and it all sort of I always feel like everything you do creatively kind of feeds feeds the artist that you are, you know
0: I totally agree with that. No, I I think that's awesome. Now, transitioning to Who's Line, uh, how has your experience been doing that show? Because have you been with Who's Line since the beginning?
1: Since the beginning of the American ones, right? right? Because, you know, it was a British show first for a couple years, right? And then when they brought it to the States, they brought the British host, Clive Anderson, over, Mm -hmm. and we did these little hybrid shows. We did six of them with the american cast and me but clive at the desk right and and they use those kind of as the test market ones right to see if american audiences would like it and and they liked it with clive and obviously they loved it with drew you know what i mean which i think was the thinking like if they like clive they'll adore drew because you know he's sort of the all-american guy
0: you know how has your time been doing the show
1: Oh, it's it's been the most fantastic thing in my life, in my career, you know, and um, I loved it when we worked on ABC and then we had all that time off and I focused more again on some other things. And now we're back on the CW and I love it again. They're great people to work with the taping of the the tapings go really fast so we don't you know it's not like we're working year-round by any stretch of the imagination you know we we work last year we we did we had 10 tape days which translates into about 25 days of work and that's the whole year (laughs)
0: I've, i've always wondered how the recording process of that show works
1: Yeah, so the way we do it is we play a whole bunch of games, sometimes as many as, like, 25 or 28. And while we're playing them, they're thinking about how they're going to cut and mix them together to make the shows, right? Mm -hmm. Because, you know, you, you can't have all guessing games in one show, for example, right? You want to have a mixed, you know, or you can't have all the kind of one-liner games like, um, like scenes from a hat in one show. So we're playing all these games and they're thinking, Oh, we could take this greatest hits and put it with this. You know what I mean? So we're tape and tape and tape. We always get at least two shows out of it. Fairly often we get three and on a few occasions we've gotten four out of one night of taping. So it really is a, first of all, it's a super cost-effective way to do a show. Oh, absolutely. But it also, the, like the energy of it, you just kind of, it's like you get rolling and we're just rolling, you know. And, and then, so while we're doing it, you know, we're just playing the games, but the producers are thinking as we go about how they're going to put it together. And then at the end, we go back and we do, some more show intros right because we need a new intro if we're going to get two or three episodes out of it and then different transitions too because it may be that we recorded you know uh, party quirks going into newscasters but they're not going to be next to each other in the television show so then we do all these intros over again uh, and that's our take day. It's a really long day from the time we get on stage till the time we're done is about five hours. Wow. Yeah. And the audience is there for like seven or eight and, and some of them get in line. So they've been there since like 10 in the morning and we don't finish it till 1030 at night. They're like the best audiences ever that they have that much energy and enthusiasm for that long, you
0: know? I think the seeing that energy from the fans and seeing how long they wait for you guys to perform—that's that, got to be a little bit of a motivator.
1: Oh, it totally is. It totally is, and you know, it is interesting because, you know, when you're doing a live improv show, your energy goes 100% to the audience, right? Because they're that's it. We're doing a show where the energy has to go to the uh, to the camera and the audience right we have both there in the room with us and so it really makes a difference when we have a good audience because it really like ups it ups everything you know and uh, and and when we have a good audience it really it really does make it just sort of feel like it's rolling along you know what i mean like we get going and then we're like a steamroller and we're just going going going
0: Being on the show for as many years as you have been, uh, what are some of your personal favorite moments from your time on the show?
1: Okay, my very favorite, hands down, is we were doing a three-headed Broadway star, which is a word at a time song, right? Each singer is supposed to get one word. Mm -hmm. And Drew was, was one of the singers. And the song was going really well, like stunningly well. And it sort of got to a place where there was like a, I I did a big swell in the music, like we were going to go to a big, you know, big emotional bridge. And it was Drew's turn to say a word. And he sang, won't you take me on a ride? And then went, oh.
0: I remember that one.
1: But it was so genuine. Like, it was just he was sort of swept along with it, you know. But then he realized, and then he started laughing and could not stop laughing for (laughs) the entire rest of the song. And and he has, like, the best laugh in the world. Once he gets going, you know, he's just so it was so fun because they would each sing their word and then he would laugh, (laughs) you know, for the rest of the song. It was great.
0: He just has a really infectious laugh.
1: He does, and it's so genuine. You know, he he's a guy who loves to laugh. You know, on the tour bus, he's thrilled if someone says some. You know what I mean? Like sometimes people talk about comedians being so competitive and stuff. He is not that way at all. He, As long as everyone's having a good time, he's happy. You know what I mean? It does, it's not all about him.
0: Right, right. Um, why do you think the the show is as popular as it is? Because you know we were I was telling you off air, it's my all-time favorite show just because it's it's so fun and it's something you can sit down. you don't have a story you really have to follow. You can just sit down and laugh. And I think it's laughter is such a great thing. Uh, why do you think the show is as popular as it is?
1: I think exactly what you said is a big part of it, that you, you don't have to have been following a storyline, right? So anyone can jump in at any time, and there's something nice about that. You know, you don't have to worry about where are we in the story and do I know why this character is doing this? Um, I think also, you know, with the uh, with especially the ABC ones – I meet so many people who say, I grew up watching that show. My whole family watched that show together. Me and my dad used to, you know what I mean? Like I hear that over and over. And I think that is one of the things is that there's not a lot of television that a 12-year-old and an adult both like and that you can actually watch together. You know what I mean? So I think people had a lot of affection about it in that way because it is something that they could do together as a family and um you know And I think about the shows that I used to watch with my family when I was a kid and I have totally affectionate loving feelings about them you know Um, I think also it the element of surprise that happens in improv you know sitcoms can get pretty predictable you can sort of see a joke coming quite often you know Mm -hmm. um and I think it's the element of surprise, the thing that comes out of left field. When Colin says something so random and silly or, or you know, or Ryan does something physically that you're not expecting, you know, he's, he's he becomes the baby giraffe and you're like, oh, my God, that's the funniest <laughs> thing ever. You know what I mean? It's like I think it's the element of surprise sort of because we love to be surprised.
0: Or he breaks glass over his head. Yes, exactly, exactly. Um, Kind of moving on to some of your other musical projects, Uh, you're in a band called The Sweet Potatoes, which is a great name, by the way. Thank Um, you. I I listened to some of the songs, and I'll say it reminds me a lot of where I grew up. Like I grew up in a really small town of just over 500 people, and it was similar to the music that I would hear growing up, so it, it gave me kind of a nostalgia trip listening to it but I I really liked it it was very good thank you how how was the band Sweet Potatoes formed
1: um so it's the the core of the band is uh, my husband Rick Hall and Kelly McLeod and Rick wrote a movie that he he starred in along with Kelly Kelly played his co-star right and so during the course of the movie while they were shooting you know there's a lot of sitting around time and uh and they ended up talking about music and he came back and he said, you know, you and Kelly like so much of the same kinds of music. You guys should write together. And I was like, well, you know, just because you like the same kind of music doesn't mean you can write together. And, but we gave it a try and instantly clicked. So Kelly and I are the main, are the writers. And then Rick plays bass and harmonica and sings also with us. And, um, and, it's kind. It is kind of the music we grew up with a little bit, you know. That's what I grew up with. That's what one of the things my mom was listening to in the house, kind of thing. And um, and it is music that I have always really loved. And I like doing something new in that sort of Americana folk country in that genre. I like feeling like I'm doing something new in that in in that kind of music that I love so much.
0: That's awesome, yeah, like i said it, it's it's really good music. um I'm not really even a huge country fan, but it just it mm-hmm. reminds me of a, a simpler time, and I think you know music can really hit you like in an emotional way that sometimes even like movies or shows can't
1: yeah I know i know, I know what you mean and and I think there's a little bit of intentionality in that, you know, because it's like if you grow up and you love. You know, I mean, Lou Harris or Dolly Parton or Linda Ronstadt. You know what I mean? And then you, and then you go. I'm going to let myself write some songs in that vein. Right. There's something. Right. There's something really great about that. You know.
0: No, absolutely.
1: Yeah, and Kelly grew up in Louisiana, so she really grew up with that
0: stuff. <laughs> um, you also did uh, some improv instructional. Uh, clips. I think it's called Improv Karaoke.
1: Yes, it is. It is. So Improv So Improv Karaoke started because people would always email me and say, can you send me a track of either the Hodown or the air Drinking song? Can you send me a track so my group can improvise to it? Because we don't have a musician. Well, first of all, I can't send a track of those songs because they're the property of the show. But I was like, well, I could send you a track of a country song, or of a Irish style song. I mean, I could do that. It doesn't have to be a hoedown, right? It can just be right. a country song. So I started doing that and then my friend was like, well, let's do a bunch of styles, my friend Luke Hannington. Yes. So we... Um, So we started doing a bunch of styles, and then we were like, well, we should do some demos to go with them. So we got a whole bunch of our friends, like Keegan-Michael Key and uh, Dan Castellaneta, who's the voice of Homer Simpson, Mm -hmm. uh, Kathy Kinney, Ron West. We got a whole bunch of people to come in and do demos so that people who are listening could sort of hear how you could approach them. And so it's a two CD set. We do some instructional stuff. There's the demos. And then on the other CD, it's just the tracks by itself so people can make up their own songs. And people who don't have a musician to work with, but want to do music improv, it can be a good solution for them, either for a show or for a class or even, you know, a chance to work out, get extra work out when your musician's not around.
0: Cool. Very cool. You also wrote the score for the movie that your husband was in. I believe it was called Slice of Pie. Yes. How was writing a film score, like how different was that than doing, say, Whose Line Is It Anyway?
1: Well, writing a film score is so, it's interesting because it's so um, meticulous. Are you hearing my cat in the background? Yeah, but it's okay. (laughs) Okay. Um, it's so, it's very meticulous, you know, because you're lining things up to go with pictures. So it, it starts exactly here when the car pulls out of the driveway and then it ends exactly here when he kisses her or whatever, you know, so you get, you, it gets very specific and you're trying to get the music to all line up really exactly. So in that way, it can feel sometimes really, um, it's more. It's far more structured, obviously, than, right. especially if you're playing a game like Greatest Hits. You know, it goes as long as it goes. You're following and you're leading at the same time. You're, you know, it's all of that. Um, but, but I do when I and I've scored some other films since then. I just went to a screening of one that I that I finished this last month. I do use improv when I'm first trying to sort of get a feel for what can go with the cue. You know, if we know we want the the music to be in a certain spot, I'll just improvise over it on the piano and start to get a feel, and then I might go, oh, that doesn't work so good. Let me try it again, you know. <laughs> so so they are related in some ways, but then film scoring gets so much more technical. Film scoring, you you... You know you write it out, and then maybe you might need to hire a clarinet player to do a part, so you write out their part and then you layer it on and then you mix it and then it's post and all that. It's so many more steps. And the thing of improv of just like doing it and then the moment's done, there's something really fun about that.
0: Oh, absolutely. Now, are there any other type of like musical projects that you because I know you've done uh, children's music,, uh, you've done some of your original mm-hmm. music as well, correct?
1: Yes, yes, and i also i just finished i'm super excited. I just finished writing a book, oh cool uh, about doing it's coming out October eighteenth so in another week or two um, a- about being a musician for improv, like what I do on whose line because what I found is uh, my husband and I teach workshops in doing the singing side of music improv. And uh, we travel all over the country and Canada and we do these workshops and we, you know, people really like them. But I will get people saying, how do you teach a musician? Like, say, we've got a musician who wants to do this with us, but we don't know how to teach them. What do you, what is it? What's involved? How do you explain it to them? Or I'll meet a musician who says, I'd love to do this or I'd love to get better at it, but I don't really know how. So... Then I actually did a different pod. I did a podcast with this guy named Bob Baker, and he's written several books. And at the end of it, we were like, we should write a book together. So we uh, and he's done a lot of improv himself, and he's a musician also. So we wrote this book, The Improv Comedy Musician, and it's exactly for. What is it that you do for a live improv show? How does the musician approach it? How do you accompany the singers? How do you do the transitions between scenes? How do you underscore? Um, and it gets it gets really specific. And then also there's stories from who's Line
0: in it too. <laughs> oh, absolutely, absolutely. You yeah. said that comes out the 18th, October 18th. Yes. Fantastic. Um, besides that, do you have any like upcoming shows with your band or anything that you'd like to plug?
1: Well, we do have some local shows coming up. November fourth, we're playing at a at a local club called Republic of Pi. Um and that's a, we do that once a month, the first Friday of every month, and we'll do it the first Friday of December also. And Rick and I are going up to. Um, Toronto at the end of this month, and we're going to teach up there at, at Second City, Toronto.
0: So that will be fun. What is one piece of advice for anyone who wants to get into music? Like, what is one piece of advice that you could give?
1: I would say I, I'll, I'll give you two. Okay. okay. And, and I got these as a young musician, and they were really helpful to me. One is whenever you get a chance, play with people who are better than you. Because you will it, you will do your best to rise to the occasion, and you will learn from playing with people who are really good. So even though it can be intimidating, if you ever get invited to, say, sit in with a band of more experienced musicians or work with a, you know, say you're a piano player and you get a chance to work with a really accomplished singer or something, and you go, oh, I might not be good enough, do it anyway. Because it you will your bar will be raised by their bar being raised that's one and the other is that you get hired to be a musician not only because of your chops and your musical skills but also because you're easy to work with because you show up on time because you're a good listener because you don't let your ego get in the way of the music that's being made. All those other things, because you're helpful, <laughs> <laughs> because you're considerate, because you are able to take criticism and uh, and and not flip out. You know what I mean? All those things are the reason that people want to hire you and then hire you again and again. Um yes. And that was a strange one for me to learn when I was, you know, when I was 19, because I was thinking it was all about how good you played. And it is about how good you play, but it's about a lot
0: more than that, too. You always got to have a good attitude.
1: Yeah. And and there are a lot of great musicians out there. You know what I mean? There are, there are better piano players than me. Um, but so what else do I bring to the table? Versatility. I'm easy to work with, uh, you know, whatever else it is that I bring,
0: yeah. Very good advice. Uh, (laughs) One thing I have to ask before we close, what is your personal favorite Whose Line Is It Anyway game? It could be musical or non-musical. What is your personal favorite Whose Line game?
1: Um, It's one we, I think it's one we hardly ever do anymore, called Show Stopping Number. Do you remember that one? I do
0: remember that one, yes.
1: I think partly because it's so silly. And um, and they have to, they just have to go from zero to 100 in in terms of the song so quickly. Because <laughs> it's like, just this big, loud vaudeville song that they have to do, and, and it's really quick, and they have to just do it. And there's something about that that just tickles me. Um, and it makes it, It it, it can be so silly. And my other favorite, it's a tie between that and Three Headed Singer, like Three Headed Broadway Singer, which we also hardly ever do anymore. And I love Three Headed Broadway Singer because no one can think ahead because you're only doing one word at a time. You really cannot think or plan ahead at all in that game. And so it can get very random. (laughs) You know, like the songs can really take off in the left field. And uh, and I love that.
0: <laughs> now those are both good choices. Yeah, I I don't remember seeing the the show stopping number game very often.
1: Yeah, we we haven't done it much, and I wish we'd. I mean, I if it were up to me, we'd do it every show because I just <laughs> like it so much. Maybe I'd get tired of it then if we did it all the time. You know, I mean, I think that's part of what happens with like, you know, you know, the ongoing joke about. No one wants to do the hoedown, but part of it is because we do it all, you know, we do it so often. It's like, Oh my God, give it a break.
0: (laughs) And last question, do you have any social media that you would like to plug so the listeners can follow you?
1: Oh, I certainly do. So my website is laurahall.com. That's easy. And my calendar's up on it. And if, uh, People want to get information about upcoming teaching or upcoming dates and my email address is on there if people want to email me and for just to say hi even. And uh, my email is Laura at LauraHall com. My uh, Twitter is Laura Hall Music. All all one word. I guess Twitter's always all one word. And then I have a Facebook page that's
0: Laura Hall Musician. Fantastic. Well Laura, thank you very much for coming on the show. It was great getting to talk with you.
1: Oh, thank you, Derek. It was really
0: fun. Hopefully you guys had fun listening back to that conversation with Laura Hall. I know I certainly did. As I mentioned at the top of the show, I love Whose Line Is It Anyway? So getting to chat with someone who plays an important role in making that show happen was so much fun. And hopefully I'll get to chat with more members from that show in the future. But for next week's show, I mentioned earlier that I'll be giving my review of Zack Snyder's Justice League. And I'll also be talking with several of the cast members from the comedy film Warmed Over Krautrock, and I'll be chatting with Jim Tavare, Adam Weber, Kate Dalton, and Derek Elstrode. So that should be a fun chat. Be sure to come back next week for that really fun episode. But until then, you can check out past episodes of the show on Apple Podcast, Stitcher, Spotify, anywhere you get your podcasts. Just search for The Derek Diamond Experience. And if you could... Please leave a review. The more reviews I get, the more visible I become to the podcasting public. You can also find the shows on YouTube. Just search for Derek Diamond. You can also find me on Patreon at patreon.com slash ddiamondpodcast. And, of course, thank you to my close friends, the Unicorn Wranglers, for providing the theme music for the podcast. You can check out all their music on Apple Music, Google Play, and Spotify. That's going to do it for this week's show, so enjoy the rest of your week. Have a safe and fun weekend. Thank you for tuning in to another awesome episode of the Derek Diamond Experience. I'm your host, Derek Diamond, and we'll see you guys back here next Thursday.